of all Champions League goalkeepers I've seen, and Carrius included, what about the fella in the goal for Villarreal? Carrius included is the worst thing any Liverpool <laughs> fan can say. That's the harshest. Well, Carrius was hopeless, wasn't he? OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Half past seven on this Monday morning. You're welcome along to OTBAM. It's Owen and Jer with you right away through until 10 o'clock this morning. We're going to be talking about that penalty shootout at the Aviva Stadium. We're going to be getting stuck into the fact that Manchester City are basically Premier League champions at this point, And it was a weekend of sunshine around the championship as well. So we've got plenty of GEA coming your way between now and 10 o'clock. If there's anything you want to get off your chest, you can tweet us at Off The Ball. Anything you want myself and Jer to get stuck into. Jer, how are you? Very well, on very well. What's the crack? What piqued your interest over the course of the weekend? You... Uh, well, most of them were very, 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 very good, but just not quite good enough. Um, it's one of those things that they're going to have a lot of regrets for. It, like, it's definitely it's right there in the pantheon of moral victories that Munster used to have in European games, and I don't know, you know, like they 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 are up against the World Rugby Player of the Year and Entomac and the defending champions who are getting good and they've put them to the absolute pin of their collar and they've had two kicks to win it. Granted, they're like moonshots, but I don't know how, I don't know how they recover emotionally from that. Like, maybe it's good that that's the end of the Van Grand era and they can look forward now with this to build on and it's a completely different backroom team who are coming in to... Be different voices, and obviously Rantry isn't a different voice, but Mike Prendergast will be, and Leamy will be, and whoever else they add in will be, like able to come in and speak objectively about that game because I suspect it'll be very difficult for the team to speak objectively about it just from a, oh my God, look how close we were, and you know if Omani hadn't got injured, if uh, some of the penalties had gone over, if the drop goal had gone over, a lot of ifs, ands, and buts, but ultimately they're out. A little bit of FOMO on Saturday, not going to lie. Watching the game in Cork as opposed to not being in the Aviva Stadium watching it. This was the sporting event of the weekend. This was like one of these really unique moments. Not quite on the level of Leinster against Munster and Croke Park, obviously. But something that will carry with it that uniqueness down through the years, you'd imagine. Because, you know, whether it's people who are saying, yeah, I paid €10 for a ticket in the year 2022. We got bussed for free up to Dublin. The place was just a sea of red. There was this amazing rendition of all the different songs throughout the 100 yeah. odd minutes plus like I, th- I think it'll just go down as just one of these great Irish sporting events yeah and like it has also denied us another one yeah because the semi-final would have been amazing I think if Munster had gone into that semi-final fresh off a victory over Toulouse they would have gone in with some confidence knowing full well what they know intimately about the, the Leinster team that they would be facing so um, yeah, and look, I, I think we have been very critical on this show and on uh, all of our platforms of the Munster hierarchy over the recent seasons. They obviously did this really well. They managed that whole situation brilliantly. From the moment they knew that the game wasn't going to be in Tolman because of the Ed Sheeran concerts, which I was like, you know, I, I think we there was massive outcry about that, but it was all nonsense because Munster have a debt they need to service. This is just a, a strange concatenation of events because of COVID and because of the, the different tournament. Like, this is going to happen at some stage when you own a massive um, stadium and you need to pay it back. So once that happened, they put in plan a place to make the Aviva Fortress, and it was genuinely a fortress. And, like, stuff like that really, really matters in the long run, that you're able to get your crowd, you're able to mobilise them. And, you know, I, I can't I can't imagine those scenes are going to hurt when you're making calls to try and convince other coaches to join that backroom team and other players to join the team. 
Yeah, and I'd imagine Damian Diolande is looking around thinking to himself, God, I wish I had another season of this. Like, what was the... Was it Brian O'Driscoll who had the figure last week or was it somebody had the figure anyway about Diolande and the amount of times he's actually played in front of a, a home crowd at Thomond and it's in single digits and that's going to be something. And I, like, I'm just picking him because he's one of the most high-profile signings they've made and he's obviously in the departure lounge in the off-season this year. Like, there, there is a sense that there is a, a bit of missing out on his side of things. But on the flip side, as you say, trying to attract new talent to come to the province if that's what they want to do. Then um, they're not going to they're not going to shirk at the possibility of, of those sort of days because it'll be just like that in a packed out Thoman next season, or potentially at the end of this season. And I know it may not be at Thoman, but they may be, you know, looking at a, a situation where it could be a URC final against uh, a certain other Irish province. I know they have to play Leinster in the regular season before things wrap up, but there is this kind of feeling that there might be momentum building. It could be just a one off as you say. The next couple of weeks going to be very oh. interesting. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what they can take from that? Um, do they take it and think, right, well, that's our brilliant performance for the year out of the way? Or are they like, look, we can do that next week as well. There's no reason. There's no reason why we can't do that again over the course of the season. I mean, you'd, you'd like to think from Irish rugby's perspective, it would be brilliant if Leinster could win in Europe and Munster could win the domestic competition. That would be kind of the ideal scenario where that rivalry, where Leinster lose a game and it's not the, um, the European one, they get their fifth star. And that Munster feel like they're going into next year much closer to Leinster than we had thought previously. Now, here's the thing. That might just have been a one-off performance. That might just have been one of those backs-to-the-wall, incredible, emotional things. And they're actually miles away from Leinster still. We don't know because um, that's the way rugby works, really. Mm. Leinster in the first half as well. A couple of hours later probably show that they're absolutely the standard bearer in this I like, personally wouldn't mind to see uh, a Leinster Ronan O'Gara matchup in the final in this thing as well, which is a, a live possibility at this point. We are going to come back to Munster very shortly. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it in particular. Uh, the penalty shootout, was it a, a good way to settle a game? Did you enjoy it? Was it the, the right level of tension? Was Roman Intimac celebrating things like he thought he'd won the shootout a little bit prematurely? Actually, the best moment on Saturday? I think it was. We'll be getting back into that in the amber in our performance rankings in just a little while. It is 7.35. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is time for the Gillette performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be in with a chance of winning. Just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. Best place to enter is the Off The Ball Instagram page and you'll see the comments box in our story. Let's run you through what we're looking at this morning. We're going to look at the Liverpool-Manchester United bias. GA scheduling, both in the red, that rugby shootout in the amber. I think it's a stone cold green personally, but we'll get to that in a moment. Kerry's depth in the green and the Limerick hurlers forever in green, it seems. Any stopping them uh, over the course of the next little while will be one of the questions we ponder this week and this morning. We'll start off there at the bottom, which is Liverpool, Manchester United bias. It is a bad weekend and was a bad weekend for the duopoly of bias at the near the, the, the upper echelons of the Premier League. Uh, Pep. Guardiola was one of the people who, who really tried to, to hammer home this idea of bias on B in sport yesterday after Manchester City had hammered Newcastle United. 
he kind of threw this in there after a brilliant win for his team. I went up, moved him into a pretty comfortable position, I think it's fair to say, in the race for the Premier League title. He said, everybody in this country, the media and everyone, supports Liverpool, of course, because Liverpool has an incredible history behind them in European competition. Not in the Premier League, because they have won one in 30 years, but it's not a problem at all. The situation is what it is. Not happy whatsoever about, uh, I guess, the, the certain comfort that people feel in seeing Liverpool do well. And he feels that... Manchester City winning the Premier League title, as they've come so close to doing now as a result of yesterday, uh, is something that's going to be, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people out there. It kind of echoes what Sergio Aguero said recently. He said in England, all the journalists, everybody, all the TV channels, they're all Manchester United supporters. Everybody. And I guess, you know, they're not wrong in terms of what they say. There's obviously a massive fan base for both of these clubs. And it's quite interesting that this is... This mask sometimes slips with Pep Guardiola a little bit. This idea that he is kind of the outsider, that his Manchester City team kind of still feel a little bit like the outsiders and all of this, as if they're upsetting the apple cart somewhat when they go and win trophies. Yeah. It's interesting that Pep feels this way, given that he came through the Barcelona system and had his greatest period of success at Barcelona when he had the best team in the world, and then went to Bayern Munich who are the only team in Germany when it comes to TV coverage and uh, globalization. And okay, so obviously Dortmund have occasionally registered little blips, little tiny little um, uh, blips on the seismograph. seismograph is that what it is? Whatever it is. Um, I, this is weird. I think this is a, a weird paranoia that uh, Pep has, but I think it probably speaks to the fact that they know that they're there because of the money that is coming from the Gulf. And like, it's not about tradition. It's not a, something that they had this incredible crop of youngsters come through, despite having the greatest academy that we've ever heard of. Um, the last decade, we've been hearing again and again and again how great their academy is. It's the best in the world. And, um, you know, maybe there are a couple of other players. That, that bench was obviously full of, um, of kids the other night. And, you know, he, again, raise questions about the, the building of the squad. But I, like, what's he trying to say here? We can't get no love for the billion euros that we spent and the financial fair play regulations that we managed to bend but not break according to how the uh, court case ended up. But the rest of the world thinks we did break them. Like, is it like, is he aware of the fact that everybody thinks they've just bought a success? Mm. Is that what's going on? Like, I, I wonder, is, is that... CV, Pep Guardiola's CV, actually the reason why he feels like this, that he is used to being, you know, part of the establishment, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, the, the sort of, the establishment when it comes to Spanish football or German football, and Manchester City is, to a certain extent, anti-establishment at this point, that Liverpool and Manchester United, and to a lesser extent Arsenal, would be very much seen as, as the establishment of English football. I wonder, I wonder, is that actually sort of just his, his muscle memory speaking here when he comes out with things like this? I mean, it, it's accurate, right? The, the vast majority of um, historic global fans and the biggest supported clubs in England are Liverpool and Manchester United because they were... I mean, you couldn't say that Manchester United are the most supported because they were the most successful. When Manchester United were going through their drought, they were still massively supported. Like, uh, and I think a lot of it probably goes back to the response that the club had to the Munich air disaster and how that just won people over for generations to come. Like they have black in their kits as part of that. And I think, um, you know, that, that made a lot of people feel emotionally bound to them. And likewise, like Liverpool have risen from a city that has been forgotten politically and socially and economically 
for a long period of time and managed to build brilliant football teams. And they were football teams that were built like on relative shoestrings or through the academy. And it's just different from going around the world and buying the best players and saying, you know, we are we deserve to be treated the same way as everybody else when it's actually not the same thing. Like you just you can't buy tradition. It's the one thing that all of Manchester City's money can't buy. Now, in 50 years time, if they won 37 out of the next 50 leagues and 25 out of the next 50 Champions Leagues, then they'll be one of the most supported clubs in the world. But like, will people care? I don't know. I won't. Given fifty years, maybe there'll be like so, some inkling of, of of that stony heart of yours that'll that'll change, and you, you'll wake up to the warmth that Manchester City are bringing to all of our lives. We'll see, we'll see. We're like, I mean, let's not make any predictions on that front just yet. Like, we put Liverpool, uh, Manchester United bias in red because it was a bad weekend for Liverpool and for Manchester United. Uh, what's interesting, I think, from if we, if we're like sticking with sour enough man, uh, manager comments. If you look at that Liverpool-Tottenham game, like Tottenham, especially under Antonio Conte, have had a pretty good record of taking on the big two and getting points off them. I mean, they've got uh, like two, two draws against Liverpool, they've got two wins against Manchester City. I know Conte wasn't there for, for all of those games. But Klopp, as we've seen so many times in the past, doesn't take these sort of situations very well whatsoever. It's part of what makes him a great manager, and it's, I guess, a symptom of being a very, very successful manager, is that when you're not successful within 90 minutes or you don't get a win that you feel like you deserve to get, you're probably not going to be overly happy with it. And afterwards, he said, I'm sorry, uh, I'm the wrong person for that when he was asked about uh, Tottenham. I don't like this kind of football, but that's my personal problem. I think they're world class and I think they should do more for the game. I think they had 36, 38% possession, but it's my problem. I cannot coach it. So that's why I cannot do it. So yes, world class players block all the balls, really difficult. Atletico Madrid is doing it. Fine, they won. Whatever, fine, absolutely fine. I just can't. I respect everything they do, but it's not me. <laughs> uh, I respect everything they do, but uh, delete everything before the word but. Uh, this is like, I mean, the, the Atletico dig. Is that still March 2020 speaking there when we all thought Klopp was just being a little bit grumpy because, you know, COVID was about to engulf our entire world for a little while? But actually, it's this, this taste he has in his mouth when his plan just gets swallowed up a little bit by a Simeone or a Conte. Like, for me, two absolutely fantastic managers. And, like, I mean, if you, if you want to, like, compare ahead of Thursday night to the two North London approaches to Liverpool this season, Liverpool beat Arsenal 6-0, and they managed to, what, a two-all draw and a one-all draw against Tottenham both times. Like, I think you'd pretty much, you'd, you'd know who, which manager is pretty, is, is happier with their outcomes against Liverpool, and it's going to be Conte versus Arteta. Whereas, I'd say, Klopp probably has a lot of nicer things to say about Arteta than Conte. So, I think if, if Klopp is complaining about you, you're doing something, you're doing something very, very right, actually. And, and so, Spurs should do absolutely everything they possibly can to keep Conte. I think, I really think, going back to Pochettino, if that's their consolation prize this summer is, is the wrong course of action for them and for the club. I think it's going to make a big difference to them in the future. Like, there's a possibility that Antonio Conte is their version of Klopp, and he might be that transformative figure that the club really needs to become title contenders, <clears throat> pardon me, and or European contenders uh, in the long run. Yeah. Uh, the other side of things then, I mean... Uh, this is just like was it last week you were saying that we'd gone maybe ten consecutive weeks in the performance rankings with Manchester United in the red. We, we get a break last week. What happened last week? I can't remember. But something strange and awful must have happened for for us to like not have Manchester United in the red last week. But uh, they are back 
with a bang, I think it's fair to say. And is this, like, is this the, the lowest of the low? Have, have we asked this question multiple times and have we always come to the conclusion that yes, this is the lowest of the low and this is very much the case again this morning because like, they are now going to no. end up with... No. Well, no, sorry. This, this isn't, no. Go ahead, no, go ahead. Got, sorry, I've, I've never come to the conclusion this is the lowest of the low because it can always get worse. No, but I mean, I to this point, I... to this point, I mean, it's always been the lowest of the low. It's, it's still on a downward curve. Uh, yeah, so that's not the lowest of the low. That's like this is a staging post to the bottom. Yeah, where th okay. This is, this is the slippery slope. The, the lowest well, so we far. We could be mid slide. The, it's lowest point so far, right? It's a new a new low. A new low. Okay, okay. I can settle is for it that. A new low. It's well, it's it, it is it is officially now going to be their worst ever return points wise for a Premier, in the Premier League season League. in the Premier I mean, they League. They got relegated. They got relegated. I know, but football only football, started football. in 1992. Football football is only a 30 year old sport. Let's not forget. Okay, so, okay. but they have been like so. No, it is not a new low, and actually. Like, I asked the question on our uh, Friday morning show, who's, which United will finish higher up the table next season, Manchester or Newcastle? And Colin Bowie told me that it was a joke. I was, I was doing it to troll and to be insulting. I am not doing it to be a troll or to be insulting. I legitimately think there's a chance that Newcastle finish ahead of Manchester United next season. How quickly can Eric Ten Hag turn this around? Like... Look at the playing stock that he has. He's going to be he's going to be working with McTominay and Telles and Shaw. Like, is he is he actually going to be able to turn these players into players who can compete against Spurs and Wolves? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think that is a very different question to can they compete with. Uh, Sean Longstaff and Joe Linton, and I, I like Joe Linton is, is a very, very good player, and is, and is better than maybe some of those Manchester United players you've, you've mentioned there potentially. Um, and like, he's, he's probably what if Ten Hag like, like doesn't hit the ground running? What if what if he's like you know uh, uh, eighteen months before he gets things going properly? Can you see them being beaten four 0 by mid-table team? So anybody from West Ham to Leicester to Villa next season. You could. Any of those teams could beat a mediocre on their day at Old Trafford, maybe. But that's the new low. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's the situation here, and like, if you want to look at it in a very simplified way, that on Monday night, uh, Ranić stumbled upon, I guess, his best, what he thought was his best formation, some version that was close to maybe his best team, and as a result, they got one of their better performances of the season, and was like, that worked, therefore, let's do it again without realising that Brentford are a different team to Brighton and Hove Albion. And these are two very different challenges and you can't just set up the same way in back-to-back -back games and, and hope for the same outcome, especially when you come up against a good team and an excellent manager in Graham Potter. Is that not just a simplification of it? Like, I, 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 granted, it's too simple, but is that not like a huge part of what happens leading into the weekend? And is Eric Ten Hag just not a far superior manager to Ralph Rangnick? Yes, well, look, I think anybody at this stage is going to look superior to Rangnick because of how badly he seems to have managed the situation, how he has been incapable of improving any of the players, how nobody looks better than when he arrived. And, you know, the reports from the training ground, you can see it made manifest on the playing pitch. Like, it, it's just, it's been a disaster. He has been a disaster as a manager. And so that, I think, is the thing that will give Manchester United fans some hope. But what if Ten Hag's not the man? What if Ten Hag finds this job to be a, a too big? What if he was made perfect for Dutch football and... Like it's not it's not a shoe in that he's going to be successful. It's not a guarantee. More than likely he will be, right? He has a, an excellent CV. He's not young. He knows football very well at this stage. He has plenty of experience, and so uh, he has he definitely has 
what you would say is the right CV. However, the people who picked Ten Hag are the people who picked Ralph Rannick. Like, that's can't a, forget that. And that's the, that's and the problem here. And that's, that's the uh, framework of a club that is going to be making or have a, a big hand in the signings this summer compared to maybe the framework that we're going to see at Newcastle United, which always looks like... like that, I mean, like that... Like, I, by the way, I'm arguing the point here that Manchester United are going to finish ahead of Newcastle United. This is not like a big leap for me to be trying to rush to the defence on that point. I do think you're getting ahead of yourself just a little bit on that. Like, I, I thought the question on Friday was who's going to win a Premier League title first? No, no. Uh, like, who's going to... I mean, no. Like, I, I can see... I can... Sorry. Uh, who, who will compete first for a title? From these two clubs next? Yeah. I can see that being Newcastle as well. But I think Newcastle are going to finish ahead of, of Man United next season. Interesting. Well, let, let's wait and see how the summer goes, right? I mean, can Ten Hag make 10 signings in the summer? Like he, he's probably needs to, he probably needs to sell 10 players. And as a result of that, maybe he'll be allowed to, to, to sign 10 players. But he would need to have a, a good bit of that lined up already, you'd have to say. And like one, of the inter- one, of the, one of my favourite statistics, actually, was Jack Pitbrook in The Athletic who said that Manchester United will finish at least 20 points behind the 81-point standard that Jose Mourinho set in 2017-18. So they're 20 points worse off than Jose's Manchester United peak, which wasn't much of a peak at all. Yeah, with Jose Mourinho as a real manager, Ralph Rannick was a glorified scout. Like, uh, this is King Ralph territory where the entire royal family gets electrocuted and John Goodman ends up as the king. Uh, it's the premise for a movie that I've never seen, but was the one on every um, video trailer that we had in the <laughs> 80s. And, like, this is that's what happened. Ralph Rannick was King Ralph. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like, we thought that we were kind of like free. Uh, or this story was free from us and uh, everybody really but it, it just gets more and more interesting I, like it, it absolutely is a, another staging post towards the bottom 4-0 to Brighton surely surely will be close to the Nadir like I'm not saying it is no, and, like, no. But, like, no I, I mean they could be they could be relegation candidates next year we don't know like sure, they could be surely not what's stopping them money Performed at the moment so money. bad with, with the wage bill dictates where you where you should finish in the table, and Manchester United are a massive outlier in terms of their wage bill versus Const, constant outliers. Always the exception to the rule when it comes to this. Look, yeah, I, but sure, that will, uh, Ten that will, Hag can revolutionise this, right? Yeah. He can. He can have them fit. He can have them physically ready. He can have them tactically and technically, technically prepared for games, and that would be a quantum leap forward. Sure, okay. But you're telling me that Harry Maguire and Scott McTominay uh, are the backbone of a team that is going to finish. In the top six next season? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, Bruno might be, but where's Bruno's form gone? Yeah. Is it like, I mean, is, is Bruno even the best Bruno in this Manchester United, Newcastle United uh, kind of head-to-head that you're talking about here is, is probably the, the next debate that we're going to have in the show. A couple of texts in. Compco Productions is not happy with our performance rankings list. Limerick at the top is a joke, they say. They were outplayed by a tip team missing 10 players from last year. How about Manchester City? Verstappen, fair points, all performance rankings in disarray, I think it's fair to say. I'm going to just like blame the performance rankings in you, Gerard, because like, I'm kind of leading the show this morning and it's usually the other person who picks them, even though I may or may not have like, picked them. Just tweet at Gerard Gilroy for any complaints you may have. Limerick at the top, a joke. He says, Kenny Dadad says, Pep wants to be loved, but he went to Bayern after they won the Champions League. He left, they won it again. He hasn't won it at City, despite spending vast amounts of money. And then Kenny Dadad also says... Klopp, when he arrived at Liverpool, said he wanted to bring back enjoyment. He says people work all week to be entertained on a Saturday. 
he has never changed in his attitude, which is fair enough. And I mean, that explains his own style of play, which is very effective as well as being very enjoyable to watch. But I would say that a lot of Tottenham fans would take winning football and getting them back into the top four ahead of... I think that would be the, the ultimate end goal, to get their enjoyment, really, at this moment. But it is out of their hands, as we know. And then, most importantly, Dave Cos has been in touch to say, OK, we need to get the names of the books behind Jer. Any Greek philosophers? No Greek philosophers. Uh, I can't really look around. That's too anky. But they are real. I can, I can confirm that they're real as opposed to... Um... Fake. Oh, that's our, as opposed to fake? Yeah. Uh, I didn't... Uh, we moved house recently and I didn't organise them. But, um... What are you going to do? Is it like by alphabetical order? Is it colour coding? What, what no, is the organisation? These are all by, are all by author. Okay. I'd recommend this to anybody who hasn't... It's... Um, it's a, an animated story of the Holocaust. What's it called? Very, very, uh, Mouse. Okay, very good. Uh, check it out uh, for all of our radio listeners. Uh, GA scheduling is the next thing in our performance rankings <laughs> this morning. Um, so, GA scheduling, yeah. Okay, so, uh, I'm not sure about you, Ger, and I'm not sure how much of this uh, you saw over the course of the weekend, but we were having this kind of conversation on Friday. I was accused of being, like, elitist towards Leitrim, I think, by Adrian on Friday, which was an interesting enough uh, argument, um, that this kind of build-up and this sort of early section of the championship, particularly in football, has just been uh, a little bit underwhelming, I guess, the... We, we knew that the schedule was a bit light at the weekend, but it kind of feels like this is a common theme that's going to pop up again and again and again. And like, I mean, I think we need to get over the fact that we're having the championship early in the year and the fact that it is going to overlap with other sports. But I do think maybe the GEA and the schedule could be a little bit better to get the best out of themselves, to at least give them the best opportunity to compete with the other sports. And one of those ways maybe to actually have the schedule on a week-to-week basis just a little bit better than it is. And I think we're running into a little bit of a, a scheduling cock-up this weekend. Uh, like th- These things could change, I'm sure, but it does look like the fixture list this weekend. Saturday at 7 o'clock, we're going to have Dublin against Kilkenny in the hurling. And then on Sunday, you've got a raft of fixtures. You've got Waterford against Cork and Clare against Limerick. That's a 2 o'clock game and a 4 o'clock game. But essentially, at the same time, you've got the Leinster semi-finals taking place in Croke Park. And at 4 o'clock as well, you've got Monaghan against Derry. Like, all those games, especially Monaghan against Derry, are games that you want to watch, and it's clashing with the hurling. Granted, you'll be able to watch it on the BBC, and one will be on RTE, I suspect. But I just think, maybe looking at that schedule, is, is there a better constellation of fixtures there where you could say, let's move a couple of these to the Saturday, to the Saturday afternoon, to maybe the 5 o'clock on the Saturday, Monaghan Saturday, against Derry? Saturday, 3 o'clock? Or Saturday, that 3 o'clock. It, it feels like that there could be, like, two windows there that, that could be used a little bit better. Like, even Limerick... 3, it, 5 and 7? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And like Limerick against Tipping the Football is at least going to be a contest. That's Saturday at 7 o'clock. I'd watch that if that was on at 5 o'clock. What you have is, is Leash Galway and Hurling at 5 o'clock and Westmead against Wexford at half past 6. We will have the under-20 uh, football final. But it feels like the conversation we were having two weeks ago about the double header of Munster Hurling games. Sorry, it was a Leinster game, a Leinster game and, a, and a Munster game at the Hurling two Sundays ago clashing with Tyrone Derry, which was a brilliant football game, it feels like we're sleepwalking into that situation once again this weekend, as if there isn't this overarching controller to say, listen, this is one organisation, and there are a lot of other sports on at the moment that are available to people, and that will just distract people from watching GEA at the moment. Should we be doing this a little bit better and move the fixtures around to ensure that we give ourselves the best opportunity to get exposure? 
Okay, so let's say the answer to that is yes, right? And let's say everybody agrees that the answer to that is yes. What, how would you fix this weekend coming, for example? Well, as you say, the 3 o'clock and the 5 o'clock situation on Saturday, I'd fill those with better games. So Monaghan against Derry, I'd move that to the 5 o'clock game on Saturday. And then I would take one of those Leinster Championship games and move them to the 3 o'clock on the Saturday. And yes, not Croke Park. Fair enough if you want to put the dubs in Croke Park and you're allied to that post-COVID that you need to get the dubs playing in Croke Park and Dublin Mead has to be on, on Saturday in Croke Park. Like, put, it doesn't. Put, it doesn't. We know it doesn't. Put, it, the under 20 you, fi- put the under-20 final as a curtain raiser in Croke Park on, on Sunday and then move Kildare Westmead out of there. Play that in Tullamore well, at, on Saturday well, at 3 o'clock. And all of a sudden uh, then you've got could, like a... a could, f- that the, could that be the curtain raiser? Could Kildare be, be the curtain raiser to the Kildare game? So you'd actually end up with a big crowd. Yes, sorry, uh, sorry, that would make no sense to s- separate the, the Kildare people from one another. I just totally f- forgot the Kildare were in that game. That's exactly what you would do. Oh, yeah. You put, you put Kildare, Kildare as the five o'clock game on Saturday with the under twenties as as your three o'clock curtain raiser at the same venue, and then three o'clock Monaghan Derry. Like that, that would be a better situation than the one we have. Like, like we are nitpicking here. We are going to be able to to see the highlights of these games, but we're not going to be able to see the the, the full availability of these games. It seems because of the way it's set up, and like. It kind of feels like we're approaching this point, or we're, we're at this point right now, especially looking at the Galway-Leitrim result yesterday, where it's like, okay, limber up for the annual conversation around how the provincial championships are crap. You know, this, this deja vu moment of, let's have this conversation again. But we're actually not going to do that. And I think that the provincial championships have arrived at this point where it's got worse than before, and the provincial championships are being treated with the worst possible thing that any sporting organisation could be treated with, which is just pure apathy. I don't think there's even but, a, any appetite out there right now to have the, the provincial championships a broken conversation. Well, I think that's probably what a large cohort of people want. They want they want us not to care enough about this to to talk about it because uh, we are distracted by the other sports. We were distracted by the monster penalty shootout. We were distracted by the title race in the Premier League. We're going to be distracted by the Champions League final, and by that stage. The, the provincial championships will be over and then everything will get good again. The first round of the qualifiers is going to be excellent because you have Division 2 and Division 1 teams up against each other and then the Ireland quarterfinals, semi-finals and final are going to be absolutely sensational this year because you have teams of a similar standard trying to play attacking football. Largely ignored will be how crap the provincial championships have been. Now, in fairness, Cavan played well against Donegal. They, they made a game of it. Um, Limerick made a game of it against... Clare to the point where it went to penalties and they go through. And that's a, a lower division team against a higher division team. But the superpowers have still been annihilating other teams. Like, when you think about it, Kildare should not be able to beat Louth by that much, considering Kildare have just been relegated to Division 2 and now they've just been promoted to Division 2. So the, the league isn't still anywhere near as strong as it could be for helping teams to get better. And we're going back to the same conversation. The provincial structures are broken. And I think what your your fixtures uh, cock up, as you referred to it this weekend, is serving to do is to highlight that. Like, we're not going to be watching the best games. Maybe they want that. I don't know. Maybe they want people to go to matches instead of watching games on TV. Maybe that's not by accident. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to know. Like, it, it just kind of feels that there is this resignation that, oh, the... Champions League has been great. The Champions Cup has been great. The hurling is great. Football can't possibly compete with us. And let's just wait till June. That kind of feels like the mood around us. Like, can we not hope for a little bit better? And like, I know that we tried for a little bit better 
last year when Proposal B went to Congress and got beaten down because these provincial championships are so important. But the reason why we don't have a better provincial championship, not a, the reason why we don't have a better championship right now is because that Galway versus Leitrim fixture yesterday was prioritised. And that's what the GEA decided last year. And it just kind of feels like, what's the point? Like, if that's the sort of level of priorities that we're seeing in the organisation, then it's very, very hard to, to hope for a, a better situation next year when you will still have these clashes and when Gaelic football will still be probably beaten to a pulp by the other better sporting competitions that are happening. Yeah. I mean, we just need to keep talking about it and reminding people that we have the opportunity and we get the opportunity back again in the future. Well, the, the opportunity has been taken and next year we'll have a, a shiny new championship, won't we, where the provincial championship is still uh, front and centre. I don't know. It's, it's interesting and like it's uh, like this weekend, I, I suspect on Sunday afternoon people will be like, oh, what's going on here? Why are we, why, why are we not, um, why is Monaghan Derry not on a, in a window of its own and why is it clashing with the hurling once again? But um, I guess we will probably have the same conversation next week. So those are uh, the Reds in the performance rankings this morning. In the grandest of penalty shootout, because apparently this was not something that uh, everybody loved. People thought it wasn't the best way to settle a game. Maybe the format maybe didn't go down well with too many people. I thought it was great. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I thought like the novelty of it probably is, the, is the, the fuel for feeling that way, to be honest, because we haven't seen this. We've seen it once before in the competition. It's such a rarity in the sport. I really enjoyed it. I think Munster fans would like really wouldn't have enjoyed it for the whole point of it being unbelievably tense. But like to be in that unbelievably tense position, I think is just a credit to what the format is. I thought it was excellent. Really? Yeah. Really? Would you not have preferred like sudden death, five kickers, you know, five kickers, and then sudden death, and have ultimately seen a prop waddle up trying to kick it over from the twenty-two? That would, that, have been, have been better. that would have been funner, but like, would that not have happened had it not been 6-all? Uh, but there was three kickers nominated. I don't know what happens after the three kickers. Like, so, I think this is the rugby Billy Big Balls getting in their own way again. Oh, oh, I'm so smart, I can flip the penalty shirt off for you. Like, well, you can't really, mate. You've actually made it confusing to the point where people in the ground didn't know what the rules were because, as you say, like, if it had been... There are penalties from the 22 and everybody has to take one. And it's like, uh, you're going, my go, you're going, my go, you're going, my go. I think we would have got to the point where the original one that we got to when, was it Martin Williams missed one for Cardiff? That, that's my memory of, of that. Uh, and I think that, that would be the type of thing that would be important to try and get back to where there's that sense of jeopardy as opposed to, like Leinster, Munster had their three best kickers on the field at the end and it was all set up for them to win. I don't know, it just, when you have to explain what the penalty shootout is, it feels like it's one step too much. So I can see why it's in amber. Yeah, yeah, like I, I guess it's, you're explaining something that doesn't happen very often, like it's happened once before, so you're naturally going to have to, to explain it. Um, like I mean, I, I do, I, like, to be honest, I didn't know what the format was going to be, the thing I was looking forward to most was seeing prop forwards being forced into taking a kick. Um, but that, that wasn't going to happen. And I thought the way it, it materialised was pretty cool. And I think, as I said earlier on, Entomac premature celebrations were pretty funny. And like that's the moment that I'll take with me out of Saturday as, as, as a great, great moment. He knew he was going to win that yeah. stage. I think the, the, the moment had passed. Uh, Edward Freeman's been in touch to say Owen showing his carry bias. What about the smaller counties? Wexford had a six-day turnaround before playing Dublin, who got a six-week run-in. Loud also made to play two games in two weeks, while Kildare had a wait. But 
yeah, like, could he not have just played those Leinster games the weekend just gone when we had, like, a very, very light weekend of action instead of playing them the previous weekend when there was loads of stuff happening? So instead so of, like... they're going to play again next weekend. Yeah, but then you push that back a little while. Like, we're ages away from the provincial finals. Like, the provincial finals aren't until the, the end of this month. They're the same weekend as the Champions League final, the Champions Cup final. Like, it feels that there are other ways to put... I don't know, maybe not. I haven't, I haven't, gone, I haven't dug deep into the week-on, week-off nature of all of this. But um, I'm not... I don't, think, I don't think players mind playing two games uh, in successive weeks. That's what you're going to have to do in the qualifiers, really. They're going to be training those days anyway. Like, you know, and, and uh, loads of teams have used regular games as a stepping stone to get better. So, like... I don't, think, I don't think that's your carry bias. Your carry bias shows through in loads of other ways, Owen. Speaking of, we move on to the green. And, uh, like, is it, is it carry bias to put Kerry in the green? I'm not no. sure. Like, is if it... they don't win the All Ireland from here, it's disappointing. What, what do you mean? Go ahead and give, give us your hot take. Num- number, number one in the power rankings, uh, despite the fact that Cork set a whole campaign in, in motion to try and set them, throw them off course. And despite the fact that David Clifford was, by his own standards, quiet for about half an hour at the weekend, they still won by 10 or 12 points, right? The game was completely over and done. And yet that was like the best performance that Cork could possibly have put out there. And the bench was absolutely stacked. Their bench was Dublin-esque. Like, and I don't mean, I mean peak Dublin. There was like uh, All-Ireland winners, All-Stars, Football of the Year contenders on the bench coming in as the cavalry, and the first team is playing well. Their backroom team is a Harlem Globetrotters of who's who of coaching and uh, psychology and uh, tactical and technical. Like it's now, it's not never, but it's definitely now. This is Kerry's time. If they blow it from here, they've blown it. Like it's interesting. They're so far ahead. It's inter- so far ahead of everybody else at the moment. <laughs> it's interesting. You could say like a lot of the same things about uh, Dublin last week, especially about like the All Stars coming off the bench. But like, I, I, Kerry depth is a thing we're putting in, into the green here. I don't think Kerry, in an overall sense, are in the green, and I, I, that's not kind of like downplaying Kerry's chances. I think anybody who watched that game on Saturday will know that Kerry were not at their best, and maybe that makes that maybe hammers home your point even more that they won by twelve points without being close to their best. Like, I mean, David Clifford probably should have come away with 1-4, despite the fact that he was marked out of the game and Cork had an excellent game plan for him. Uh, like, the, the reality is that on Saturday there were teams at very different stages of their physical development. And this has been something that's been levelled at the Cork hurlers as well over the last little while, that strength and conditioning-wise, they're just not at the level of Limerick, for example. It really feels like Cork are a level below Kerry in that department as well in football. Like, you see... The, um, the forwards that they had at the weekend, especially uh, Sherlock and Carlo Mahoney, I think they scored nine points between them. Absolutely outstanding scores they scored between them. And, and you'd hope that that standard of player will be brought forward by Cork over the next little while, given everything that they can possibly given uh, in terms of SNC, in terms of their preparations, so that they can contend with Kerry, especially in two years' time when they bring Kerry back to Cork again and to try and beat them on that occasion. But for me, there was still a gulf, and that allowed the Kerry depth to show, especially after 50 minutes, when you bring Moran on, and you bring Ganey on, and you bring Paul Murphy on, actual All-Ireland winners, and that completely transforms the game. 
And I do think that's a really, really positive thing for Kerry is that they have proven now that they do have a squad that, that can win the All-Ireland. But I don't think, like what you say there, is that it, like, of course it'll be disappointment if they don't win the All-Ireland. That the same goes for Dublin if they don't win the All-Ireland. And for Mayo and Tyrone, no. anything who doesn't win the All-Ireland no. will be disappointed. No. But yes, no, they are no, favourites. No. Yes, they are no. the best team in the country. I, I'm, no, I'm not, a, but I don't think they've moved ahead of the pack here, after the weekend. It. They're miles ahead. They're miles ahead. They're, like, they're, they're very, very, very far ahead. When you, when you consider that, like, we don't, the Dublin defence, like, we're, we're suddenly saying, oh, they've got a defensive structure because Wexford scored four points against them. Like, Wexford are a mediocre Division 4 team. They're not a good Division 4 team. They're a mediocre Division 4 team. And we're, like, because they put, put it up to them last year, we can't overrate the performance. So we're going off what we've seen from Dublin. They have no defensive structure just yet. They don't know exactly what their style of play is going to be. Sure. Brian Fenton looked like he was back to football of the year territory, but he was kicking free scores from the 40. Like, it was, it was, their A versus B match will be more difficult for the Dubs, right? That was actually local rivals away from home, tight venue, Kerry blasted through the Cork Challenge. They didn't blast through the Cork Challenge. 12 they bl- points. They didn't blast through the Cork Challenge for any, like, points. that is just. Not a correct analysis points. of how the game went. They, oh, they, they, they got a they got a stranglehold in the game after 50 minutes when, as I say, two physically separate specimens uh, like the, the Kerry team and the Cork team okay. just really showed the, the difference. No, not at all. I, I, they blew them with, up. With, with all due respect, with all due respect, them. with all due respect, I would listen to Jim McGuinness's analysis over the blasted through analysis, and Jim McGuinness pointed out that Kerry in the first half did still show some of the concerning elements that popped up against Tyrone last year, which is that their attack can come unstuck against the correct defensive plan. Defensively, in the defensive system, I agree with you, Kerry seems to have got really, uh, they've got nailed on this year. They didn't, concede no, they didn't concede a goal chance again at the weekend, and Cork didn't look like coming close to creating a goal chance. It would be interesting to see how, how that goes against a better team. But I think coming up against a stacked defence that have a good plan to stop I mean, Clifford and sorry. to stop their attack, like, Sorry, if Clifford hadn't, hadn't got injured last year against Tyrone, they would have won. This whole notion that they came unstuck. Tyrone do have a defensive structure. Tyrone did have a defensive plan in place. And still, David Clifford was, like, meteorically, stratospherically brilliant in that game. So I, I think that, like, Kerry are four... Now, in my book, Kerry are four to five point favourites against everybody who they play from this point forward. That's And, that's, and if they lose those games then it's not just a disappointment that they didn't win the All-Ireland. It's like they've somehow, they've blown it. That's how good they are. They, their, their team is so far ahead of everybody else this year at the moment. I don't think they'll be four to five point favourites if they're in that semi-final against Dublin. It's Munster against Leinster. Dublin will be at home. I think that that's more one to two point favourites for Kerry, not four to five. Okay. But other, other than that, it's four to five against everybody else. The, the one, like I, 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 like I do by and large agree with your point. Like they're, they're definitely they're hammer mail. favourites. Like they beat go with five or six points. Uh, they they beat Armagh, Donegal. They beat Donegal. So Monaghan, Monaghan always gives them a game. Well, I think Monaghan might get to three points. But yeah. they're going to beat all those teams. Well, what, who am I missing? What, what would Derry? be interesting is that what would be interesting is that there will be a, a twelve week gap between Kerry's two Crow Park appearances. Twelve weeks from the league final to an All Ireland quarter final, and in that period they will have played Cork and one of Limerick or Tipperary. There is absolutely a chance that Kerry go into that All Ireland quarter final undercooked and there is an opportunity for one of those teams to come through the back door and cause them serious problems. I still think they win, but to cause them serious problems. Tyrone Tyrone are going to cause them serious problems? Well, Derry or Monaghan are going to be in there as well. And that for me is, 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 
you could make an argument that that actually is, is, is the team that will cause them the most problems, whoever it is from, from Derry or Monaghan. Granted, we were just predicting draws here and we don't know how, how things will go. So, so for me, that, that, that's a slight concern. But they're in the green. The depth really showed at the weekend. Do those people who came off the bench start the next day? I'm not actually sure they do. I think that the, the team is so strong now that they, they are in a Dublin-esque position when it comes to depth. And all is rosy in the yes. garden. We're yes. not playing down any They're chances this morning. Uh, last okay. things uh, for this morning is, is Limerick. They're always in the green. I mean, the, a, a strong argument to be made that they shouldn't be anywhere near the green this morning, Jerry. What do you think? Uh, I think um, very surprised that Tipperary were ahead at half time. Very surprised that Tipperary, as good as they were, and then not that surprised in the way that Limerick managed to uh, get a stranglehold in the game in literally the last five minutes. I, I guess that's the sign of the great team. Like, we're never going to talk about this game again, I think, when it comes to writing the story of this great Limerick team. It's, it has become routine for them to beat Tipperary, even though that was the best that Tipperary could have hoped for. Now, as somebody earlier was, there was 10 Tipperary players missing or whatever it is, like a huge amount, absolutely gone. And still, Limerick left them in the game. But I think that's it. There's just a touch of complacency about this Limerick team sometimes. And that's fine because they're good enough to always jolt themselves out of it. And that's why I don't think we're ever going to remember this because, you know, when the season is over, we're not going to look back at this as, as any kind of turning point. Um, I think Tipper gone. And I think that's uh, it's going to be interesting when we get to... I, I do think that the, the Munster final is actually a bit of a distraction and the break and play in previous years has, has been difficult for teams to just get back straight into uh, all Ireland semi-final action for us. So... Um, Let's wait and see, but I, I don't think this has any bearing on anything other than that was a job they needed to do, and they did it ruthlessly in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, it definitely seemed that way, and to have just the ability to, to turn it on, kind of out of nowhere, it seems. I do think that the one uh, legacy point from this is just if Tipperary get their house in order over the course of the, the next year um, and come into, come into 2023 with, with a bit more strength, you're kind of looking back at this year's game and last year's game as as a little bit of hashtag narrative going into the Limerick tip thing. Beyond that, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. Limerick player should be a good one this weekend uh, and hopefully Limerick kind of play their full hand and it's, uh, and it's going to be a bit of a cracker. Uh, that is this week's performance rankings. Limerick, Kerry in the green. Uh, by the way, before we wrap up, just to tell you, you can come join the football pod live with Paddy Andrews, James Donoghue and special guests. We are going to Royal Theatre Castle Bar on Thursday, June 2nd in celebration of Mayo football. A look at the championship race and much more. That's the football pod live in Castle Bar on June the 2nd. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today and stay tuned to OTB for details on more shows still to come. 